Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Good morning. Happy Sabbath. All right, it is a good Sabbath. Thank you so much, praise team, for blessing us. And thank you for that testimony. God is in the little things, not just the big things. He's concerned about every aspect of our life. And his goodness is intertwined inextricably with every aspect of our life. Praise the Lord. Let's start for a word of prayer as we prepare to open his word together. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Lord, we are here because of you. You're the God of the universe. You are our, our King, our Redeemer, our Creator. And we come before you with humble hearts and open minds to receive what you have for us today. I just pray, Lord, your Holy Spirit would work as we, as we talk, as we read, Lord, as we pray and as we sing together, Lord, that you would be glorified, that your heart would be moved by our worship. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the 34th Olympiad wraps up tomorrow. How many of you have been able to watch at least a portion of the Olympics happening the past couple of weeks? Not too many people. You're kind of like me. I, I just kind of pay attention to kind of some highlights. Um, I keep checking the, the medal count. So obviously, if you've seen, we're right behind China for, for gold medals. We're, I think we're like four behind. And, but we have more medals overall than China, right? But, but who's counting, right? Does it really matter? <laughs> more overall. Anyway, but as we've been able to observe, there's so much that goes into those who are participating, the training, the time. And I'm reminded of the Apostle Paul as we, as we think about the games that we've been observing. But before we get to the Apostle Paul, I'm reminded as well, in preparation to read Paul, of an Olympic athlete back in the late 60s, 1968. It was the Olympics in Mexico, in Mexico City. And that year for the marathon, an a Ethiopian named Mambo Wolde was the favorite to win the marathon. He had been running in different races all year. He was the favorite. Nobody else would even come close. Another participant in that marathon was a man named Stephen Aquari from Tanzania. Not considered to be the favorite, not even close. But nonetheless, he qualified to run the marathon that year in the Olympics. And so that year, they all line up. And if you've ever seen the marathon, they, they all line up. But like the sprint, you know, when they, they start, it's not like this huge runoff. It's kind of like this kind of easy jog. I kind of miss the speed walking. Remember that? They don't have that in the Olympics anymore. So it's a little faster than the speed walk. But they, they, they take off, and they just kind of get this steady, slow pace as they're going around and moving towards the 27-mile run. Well, as they get out, they, they got bunched up in big groups as they, as they were crowded, keeping the same pace. And as was expected, Wombo was ahead of the pack, and he never let up in that spot the whole race. But Stephen Aquari was in the midst of this pack of people that were so tightly running that he, for some reason, got caught up with another runner, and he tripped and he fell, injuring his leg severely. Well, there he was, laying on the ground, writhing in pain. The medics came, they bandaged him up, his knee was messed up severely, and for all purposes, he could not continue the race. He couldn't run. But instead of quitting, he keeps going. So fast forward, the end of the race, Wombo comes in, he beats everybody by a long shot. But after the last participant comes through, an hour and a half later, 
It's dark in the arena. People had been leaving, and here comes guess who? It was Stephen Aquari of Tanzania, bandaged leg, hobbling into the stadium in the dark. He makes his final lap, barely making it, writhing in pain the whole time, and he finishes, and he crosses the line, and he collapses. And so later on, they interviewed, and they said, Stephen, why in the world did you keep running? You couldn't win. You knew that. You were in horrible pain. Why in the world would you keep going? You're going to injure yourself more. And here was his answer. He said, my country didn't just send me to start the race. Guess what he said? He said, my country sent me to finish the race. And that's exactly what he did. It reminds me of the words of the Apostle Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8, Paul was in prison. He's writing a letter to young Timothy, the pastor. And as he's in prison, he knew his time was coming to a close. Nero was the emperor, and he had gone down this road of insanity, and now he was persecuting, killing Christians. He burnt half the city, and Paul was now the subject of one of his times of rage. And so he is in prison, and Paul realized what was happening. And here's what he says to Timothy. He says, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. He says, I know my time is here, shackled in chains, in prison. He's writing to Timothy. He says, and the time of my departure is at hand. But listen to what he says. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the what? I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, after all this, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. Paul echoes the words of Stephen Aquari that he entered the race not to start it, but he entered this race to finish it by the grace of Jesus Christ. Friends, we're all in this race called life. The same race that Paul was on, we are on. I don't know if Paul is a big sports fan, but he references at least the Olympics and races multiple times in his writings. If he wasn't a sports fan, he was at least using culturally relevant terms because the Olympics were the big thing in Rome. It was the biggest event of every single time it would come, every few years. And so Paul referenced this this cultural norm time and time again even referring to his own life, his own walk with Jesus. Friends, we are involved in the Olympiad of the ages that one day we will come to the finish line, whether it be in this world as we lay down to rest or when Jesus comes. Either way, we will receive the crown. Amen? That is what Paul was saying. That's what he looked forward to. So the question is this. How do we end up finishing this Olympiad of the ages? Because unfortunately, many start, but not everybody finishes. Many start, but not everybody finishes. Today and next week, we'll be talking about seven secrets to finish the Olympiad of the ages. And friends, there are three main reasons, two of which we'll talk about today, why we drop out of the race. But we're not going to leave you there because we also have ways that Jesus has put in place to help us to stay in there, to finish the race so we don't need to worry, we don't need to drop out and quit. 
Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Pastor Mike read this earlier. Paul is attributed to writing this book, the book of Hebrews as well. And so this would also echo his words and his theme of a race or the Olympics. Verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and this is, by the way, talking after he goes through the hall of faith in chapter 11, from Abel to Enoch, the whole way to Moses, and, and all the different apostles, and Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, the prophets. He goes through and shares their, their journey of faith that they have all finished. But now he's saying, because of all these witnesses that I just mentioned, he says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, verse 2, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of who? Of God. Jesus is seated on the throne along with the Father, and we're in the race. That's good news, by the way. He endured the cross. He has been victorious. He's seated at the right hand of God, and now we're in this race that's already been won by the Son, Jesus Christ himself. And so, how, if we've been entering this race as Christians, as human beings, how do we finish the race the first thing, the first reason we drop out of this race, by the way, and probably the number one, is that we simply give out. What do I mean by we give out? We get tired. We, we, we get caught up in the, in the length of time that sometimes we feel it's taking for this race to go or for, for Jesus to come back, for him to fulfill his promise. And we get tired. It's long, it's arduous, it's hard. And so we simply give out. Secret number one, how do we avoid giving out? This may seem just too simple, but here it is. Are you ready? Number one, secret number one to finish the Olympiad of the age is number one, don't quit. Maybe oversimplified, but, but simply don't quit. Back to Hebrews chapter 12, why do I say that? In verse 2, he says, let us run with, rate, with endurance the race that is set before us. That word endurance is significant, and I'm going to pause there for a second. That word endurance is hupomone in Greek. And what that literally means is patient endurance. Those two words are significant. It is patient endurance. Not just endurance, not just patience, but both together. So they both signify two things that we go through in the waiting. Number one, patience signifies that there is a delay. So patience is our response to a delay or a, a lapse in time that is unexpected. And so it is how we respond and avoid becoming angry and impatient or being upset at the delay. That's what patience is, is our response to a delay. And what is endurance? Endurance is our response not just to a, a lapse in time, but more than that, it is our response to difficulty. So hoopomene signifies two things. 
Delay and difficulty in the waiting. When it comes to delay, we in this generation have a hard time, probably harder than any other generation in earth's history, with waiting. How many of you guys like to wait for anything? I, I hate it. I'm a pretty patient person. I always at least like to tell myself. But just this past week, I was, I was preparing to preach this sermon, and my patience was tried time and time again. You get caught in traffic going past Wakiva Springs Park, and you can't get through there any time in the morning, or else I feel the whole way around. I'm sitting there for way longer than I needed to. I needed to get to, get my, to my destination. Why was I stuck there? And then I'm going to the pharmacy later in the week, trying to get some medication, and they're shorthanded, and there I am for about an hour. They said, well, come back. I said, by the time I get back home, I, gotta come. I can't, I have to wait here. You know what I'm talking about? And so you're sitting there waiting and waiting and waiting, and that hour is not usually what they usually come out to be. It's usually like an hour and 15, 20, 30 minutes. And then the, probably the, the crescendo was at Fleece, we had our, our open house, and I needed to get Brandon some new uh, gym shirts. And here at the end, you go to the gym, and when I see the gym, there's this huge line of people, probably a hundred strong. And guess what table that line was for? The t-shirts, which I really needed because Brandon's grown this past year. He can't wear the old ones. They'd be like a half shirt. So I can't send him to school with those. So I'm like, oh man, so I'm looking there. I'm, I'm gauging. I'm thinking, there's no way I'm going to wait in this line, but I'm, I'm standing there. I get out. I start talking to somebody. You know, pastors, we do that. We start talking to somebody, and I see the line moving, and oh, I should get, get back in the line. Well, before I know it, the guy I was standing next to is way in front of the line. He's there at the table, and I'm still at the very back. That was my fault. I ended up waiting in the line about three times longer than I should have. Finally get the t-shirts. There was some good fellowship in the process. But this generation, my generation, your generation, even if you are older, you've adapted to this generation of impatience. We don't want to wait for anything. Just, just think about this. Remember when, when I was younger, we would have to wait a whole week for the next episode of MacGyver to come on TV so we could watch it. But now you don't have to do that anymore. Now you can actually just watch the whole series. You can binge for a weekend and watch like every season of whatever show you want to watch. And if you're really good, you can even avoid all the commercials. We don't like to wait. We want everything at once. That's how, we, that's how we're wired. We get impatient when the microwave's taking 10 extra seconds to warm up our food. Come on, when's the gun? Come on, come on, come on. Everything is at our fingertips, and waiting is difficult. But friends, I want to share with you something. In this race, we're talking about patience, in the delay, in this interim between the time we are living and the time when Jesus returns, in this time of waiting, the apparent delay, God does his very best work in us. In this time of delay, God does his very best work in us. Cliff Young, how many of you have ever heard the name Cliff Young? If you haven't, don't be surprised. Many people have not either. Cliff Young was the winner of the 1983 ultramarathon from Sydney, Australia to Melbourne, Australia. So here's the interesting part. An ultramarathon is not just the 27 miles, but this was a 544-mile run. 
five, did, did you grasp that? 544 miles. Now, granted, they did it in multiple days, but it was a long run. So Cliff Young, who enters this for the very first time, hadn't really run anything like this before in his life, he shows up. He shows up, and everybody else is wearing their Nike sponsor stuff, Adidas. This is like a hardcore runner's paradise here. Everybody's all suited up, dressed up for this run. And here comes Cliff wearing his farmer's overalls, his gum boots, which are these rubber boots he'd wear out in the pastures, and he says he didn't wear his false teeth because when he runs, they clatter. And by the way, I forgot to say this, Cliff was 61 years old when he enters this race. 61 years old, 544-mile race, never did it before. They line up, they take off, and Cliff was far from the front of the pack. As a matter of fact, he was way behind. Cliff starts this thing, they, they, they coined the, the Cliff Shuffle. He just kind of shuffling like this, going down the road, about that pace. Everyone else is taking off, going faster, run for hour after hour after hour. Well, all the other participants, here was the, usually the normal schedule, they'd stop and sleep for six hours each night. Well, Cliff, when it came dark time that it got dark, everybody else goes off to the side, gets in their places to sleep, but not Cliff. <laughs> Cliff just keeps, keeps shuffling, keeps running all night long. Never stops. Maybe just to use the bathroom. That was it. And grab some food as he's running. Doesn't stop. For five days straight, Cliff doesn't stop running. <laughs> Never stopped. Five straight days. Well, the crowd that was ahead of him didn't last very long. Within that night, Cliff passed them, and they never, ever caught up. Cliff set a new record, completing that race in five, in, in actually it was, it was five days, beating the record by 10 hours. 61 years old. He ran straight through, never stopping once. Afterwards, they said, how in the world did you do this? You've never run something like this. 544 miles, you just kept going. He said, well, as a kid, he said, I used to have live on a large property with my parents, and I still actually own that property and live there. He said, but as a boy, I started at a young age, I had 2,000 sheep. And he said, they'd be out in the pasture, and my parents would send me out to round them up, and I'd take two and three days straight sometimes to go all through these thousands of acres, and I would run nonstop until I got all the sheep together. They go, that's it? They go, yeah. He goes, yeah. And I, I still do it today. Sometimes I have to go two and three days straight to get all these sheep, and I, I just run two or three days to get them. That's it. And they said, well, well how'd you get this? How'd you finish this race? This is far longer than that. He goes, well, when I was running in this race, he says, all I pictured in my mind was that I was running after my sheep, trying to outrun the storm that was coming to get them. My, he says, that's all I pictured. And so this guy, it looked like he was sponsored by Tractor Supply, not Adidas or Nike, <laughs> completes the race. Oh, one more caveat. At the end of the race, there was a, a $10,000 reward, equivalent of about probably thirty grand today. 
And so he didn't realize there was even a prize. He wins the race. They give him this check. He goes, what's this? It was the prize for winning the race. And he goes, well, he felt so bad that he took the check and he splits it between the five other guys who actually finished the race, didn't keep anything. I mean, this guy is unbelievable. It's like straight out of Forrest Gump or something. But it taught me a couple of things as I read his story. In this marathon, in this race we're running, obviously it takes time. It was a long time. It was consistent. There's the, it's the tortoise and the hare. You know, you know the story. But it's more than that. Because the whole time that, that he was doing this, what was he picturing? He was picturing his sheep. That was his motivation, his sheep, and protecting them from the coming storm. When it comes to our time of waiting, we know there's a coming storm that is approaching this planet, worse than ever in Earth's history. And could it be that in the waiting, we sometimes miss out on what God is calling us to do? He's calling us to go after his sheep because of the coming storm. While we're in the race, we don't just stop, we don't just give up, we continue, but not just continue in the race, not just focus on the prize, but in the meantime, we are focusing on other people, the lost, those who God cares about. That is our focus. God does his best work through us in the waiting. Life is a marathon, it's not a hundred yard dash. Many times we treat it like the second, but we lose out very quickly. We, we lose all of our energy. What happens is that we lose focus and energy while we wait. That's the two things we usually lose out on. How do we know that? Look at Jesus' parables. Look at the book of Revelation. The story of the 12 virgins signifies that while there was an apparent delay of the bridegroom signifying Jesus coming, what do the all 12 virgins do? All of them, the wise and the foolish, do what? They get tired, they slumber, and they fall asleep. We get tired in the waiting. But also we look at Laodicea, another symbol of the end times we are living in, the day we are living in, Jesus' church. And it's a church of Laodicea that has lost focus. They thought they had it all together, that they had riches, and they had discernment, and all these good things. But Jesus says, no, no, you have it all wrong. You lack focus. You're, you're focused on the wrong stuff. You're poor, blind, and naked. You need these things from me. You're lukewarm. In the waiting, we tend to lose focus and lose energy. Friends, what in your life today is draining you? <laughs> what is it in your life that's draining and sapping your energy? What is taking our focus, my focus, your focus? What is it in our life? that God is wanting to point out in the time of waiting. As we look, even through the Bible, we see that God does absolutely every time his best work in the time of waiting. Think of Moses, 40 years in the desert before he was ready to lead Israel. Joseph is in prison 12 years, wrongly accused, 12 years in jail before he is able to come out and save not just Egypt and the known world, but his family. 12 years in prison. The waiting is not usually easy. It's hard. So what is the key? 
what is the key? How do we maintain focus and energy while we wait? Because we all get tired. We all get discouraged. We all want to quit time and time again. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 through 31 is key. And you've read this numerous times. But there's something here I want to show you that that I saw this past week that I believe is key, is a key element here for us to maintain the strength and the stamina to complete the race. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. It says, Have you not known, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is what? Nor is weary. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't slumber, he doesn't get tired. He always is. His understanding, so his, his strength and his stamina is eternal. His understanding is unsearchable. That is eternal. It's limitless. And what's he do because of his limitless power and strength and grace? It says he gives power to the weak. And those who have no might, he increases strength. God does his best work in the time of waiting in our lives. Even though you shall faint and be weary, and the young man shall utterly fall. But listen here, it says, but those who, what? Those who wait, your translation might say hope, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Not just that, but they will mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Whether you're running in this race or maybe you've come to a slow shuffle, God will strengthen you, is his promise. But the key is in the promise. If we wait on him. This is the the key element. The word wait here is kavah. Which again, just like the word we saw in the New Testament, hupomone, has a dual meaning. This word kavah, this wait, means to not just wait, but also to hope for. It can be translated, that's why some of your versions say, those who hope in the Lord. Others say wait, because it means the same thing. But you say, well, it doesn't mean the same thing. Waiting and hoping is not the same thing. In the Hebrew mind, when we're waiting on God, here's the key. When we are waiting on God to act and to move, hope is always connected with the waiting. Let me say that again. When God is involved, when we are waiting on him to move, hope is always inextricably connected and intertwined with the waiting. What is hope? Hope is picturing a future, God's ideal, something positive happening. When you're going through something tough or something long and arduous, that there's something better coming. That is what hope is. Hope in a better thing, a better future. And so with God, there is always something better coming in the waiting. Those who hope and wait in the Lord, he shall renew their strength. So how do we gain this hope? How do we gain this this hope in the waiting? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says about faith itself. It's the definition of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things what? Hoped for. Remember the word hope. It's, It's key. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So what is faith? 
It is the reality of things that we hope for a better future, something God's goodness, His best for us that is not yet now, but it is yet to come. So faith is trusting the reality of what we hope for. Not saying it may be, it could be, but that it is. When God says something is or will be, it always will be and it always is. His promises are always yes and what? Amen. When God promises, there's never a question. And so our faith is based on hope. And our hope is based on faith. It is the substance of what we look forward to because of God's promise. And how do we know what to hope for? Here is the key. Psalms 130, verses 5 through 6. It says, David says, the psalmist, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And here's the key. And in his word, I do hope. He is waiting patiently. He has hope. And why? Because he is reading the promises. He's recounting God's goodness, his words to us. And he says, it's in God's word that I find my hope. I'll read on. It says in verse 6, My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord is, in the Lord there is mercy. And with him is abundant redemption. Our redemption is promised. His mercy is sure. Our hope rests only in Jesus. And even the psalmist realized this. Before Jesus even showed up, he looked forward to the hope and the promise to come. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word, he says, I hope. In his promise, I hope. Is it any wonder, and I'm going to shift gears here within this context, looking at Daniel chapter 7. Daniel 7 in context is, is the explanation, it's the description of these different beasts that, talk, that signify different nations throughout history. And this last beast, it signifies there's these ten horns and a little horn comes up, uproots three of the other ones and, and takes over. But, but there's a description of this horn, this power, this historical power, geopolitical power, that would rise up. And notice something that the Bible says in Daniel 7.25. Turn there with me if you could. Daniel 7.25. It's connected. It's important. This horn power, this religio-political power described in 725 says something very specific. This power shall speak great words against the Most High. This power would speak against the God of heaven and as a result, wear out the saints. In the waiting, the saints will get tired and not just feel tired, but actually wear them out. He will succeed in wearing out God's people. And also think to change times and laws. What does he do? This power that was and is and will, will raise its hand again before Jesus comes even stronger. Here is the key. The enemy, Satan himself, knows that if he can attack the character of God, we will lose faith. If he can cause doubt about God's goodness and his grace, we will begin to lose faith and doubt God's love for us. And then, what's he do on the other side? He attacks God's law. He changes times and laws. So if there, there's no trust in God's character and no trust in his word, there's no hope. And so we get tired 
and we get worn out, and we drop away. And unfortunately, the enemy has succeeded time and time again. But it need not be the case. Heather Thompson Day, who spoke to us as pastors uh, not too long ago, she's an Adventist author and speaker. She just wrote a book called It's Not Your Turn. And she said something very, I thought, profound. She, she described some studies that have been done about hope. And one thing she said is that the number one reason that studies have shown why people don't have hope in anything or lose hope is because that they have lost their sense of imagination. We have a hard time imagining something better to come, picturing in our minds something that, not, that is not but yet could be. And when we don't have that imagination, hope is usually lost. But the study also showed that those who had imagination, who could look forward and picture something better, even with children, were always more successful, always had hope. It's interesting, our generation, I think we've lost our imagination. A good friend of mine uh, got married, and, and there was a, a stepson involved in the marriage, and he, he loved this boy. And he wanted him to experience all the toys he had growing up, and wouldn't you know, G.I. Joes came back in. And so he bought a huge G.I. Joe tank and some action figures, and he brings them to the boy who was about probably eight or nine, he puts him right there in front of him, and he told me the story. He goes, yeah, I gave him this awesome toy that, you know, we would have loved growing up. I said, yeah, I, said, I would have loved to have those, those exact toys. He goes, I, I gave him to him. I set him there on the floor, and he just sat there, and he just stared at it. He goes, he goes I told him, I said, well, play, play with it. He goes, what am I supposed to do? He goes, I realized very quickly he couldn't in his mind imagine a scenario or pretend to do something with these toys. For whatever reason, maybe it's how he was wired, but maybe it's a symptom of maybe us losing our imagination as a generation. And here's the scary part. The scary part is, is that when we lose our vision, we lose the sense of hope in what could be. A vision for God's future, his goodness and his best that he has for us. The Bible says that in Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no, no vision, the people what? The people perish. Why? For the very reason we're talking about, because when there's no vision, there's no hope. When there's no hope, we die out spiritually, emotionally. Every aspect of our life, we die. There was an experiment that was done back in the 60s that I, I question whether to tell you about because it's I won't give you all the details. Let's just say it's involving some rats. And what they did, they had these rats, some wild, some domesticated, and they, had the, and they put them in water. Well, they realized very quickly that the group that were wild rats died very quickly in the water. They couldn't even really even save them. It was just a matter of, of moments. But what they did is that they, before they put the other rats in, they, they, would, they would let them swim, the domesticated ones, and they'd, right when they were about to sink, they would pick them up and they, they'd pet them. They'd kind of, kind of shake them, get them back, kind of oriented, and they'd put them back in. And so they'd swim around, then they'd start kind of getting tired again, they'd, they'd take them out, do the same thing. Well, eventually, they gave some days in between, they put these rats back in the tank. And what they saw was these rats kept swimming, not just for an hour, but for days. They would not give up. And what they concluded in this experiment is the ones that were 
willing to swim that long as these simple creatures was because they realized something that maybe we have lost. They thought there was hope for them. And when there was a sense of hope, even these creatures, they would not give up. They kept swimming because they thought maybe somebody would help them. Could it be that we've lost our sense of hope and so we give up way too easily? Where there is no vision, the people perish. Maybe it's time we recast and recatch the prophetic vision that we as God's people have had. The vision of what God has promised that is here and yet to come. The soon coming of Jesus. But in the waiting, the knowledge that it is the revelation of Jesus Christ, it's all about Him. And so here is the charge of this point. Keep your eyes on Jesus because He's with you in the waiting. It may be long. It may be arduous. It may be difficult. Your patience may be wearing thin because of the length of time, the apparent delay, and the things you're dealing with in your life. But don't give up. Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on him. Mantengan tus ojos en Cristo. Because he is with you in the waiting. He is with you in the waiting. Number one, the reason we give up, we give up We drop out because we give out. We tire out. As I look at my life, at our life, as we look at what's happening in the world around us, just when you think things are getting better with COVID, numbers are going down, things are being eased up, things seem like they're they're going in the right direction, then there's a variant. And things are worse than ever. Waiting is hard. It just doesn't take patience. It takes perseverance. Secret number one, don't quit. It's not just because we give out, but we also give up. And that has to do with perseverance. But we're going to talk more about that next week. But today, what I'd like to charge each one of us is this. As we leave this place, take some time to reflect today and this week. Reflect in your life, and I will do the same. I promise you that. Reflect in your life. Spend some time in quietude with the Lord. And ask Him, what are the things that are distracting me and that are wearing me down in the waiting? Maybe it's a crazy schedule. Maybe it's a lack of margin and balance. Maybe it's priorities that are misplaced in your life. And that's not always bad stuff. It's good stuff. (laughs) Good things can even be used in a bad way. What is it in our life in this crazy business that we have? Everything at our fingertips. What is it that's distracting us? Making us lose focus. What is it that's caused us to possibly lose the vision, to lose our imagination, to lose our hope in the future that Jesus has promised? And sometimes in the waiting, we just say, oh, he's not coming. It's been too long, and so we just go on like, as life, like life as usual, as if nothing is going to happen. But friends, we know he's coming back. 
It doesn't matter if it's today or tomorrow, years from now. For us, today could be our final day. Driving home from church today, if we don't make it, that is it. Next thing we know, Jesus coming. We must always be ready in the waiting. It's not about getting ready, it's being ready. And how do we get ready? How do we remain ready? Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He who began the good work in you, the Bible promises, will be faithful to complete it. Do you believe that? If he started it in your life, he will finish it. But you just have to let him. He's less concerned about taking you from your circumstances and more concerned about having your heart. He'll do whatever it takes to have that second, short of forcing it. And just know that he's always working. He's always moving. He's always working your behalf through the power of the cross. And may we in the waiting also have the mind of Christ, seeking his lost sheep, in our families, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our workplaces, because of the coming storm. Time is short. Let us be about the business of Jesus because of his grace extended to us, may it be extended to those around us. Amen. Father, 
surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again. I run to the Father, fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend, so I run to the Father again and again and again and again. gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we leave this place, we are reminded that everything begins and ends with you. You are the beginning and the end, and you're everything in between. So, Father, as we come to you today with open hearts, surrendered to you, Father, we pray that you would remind us every day in the waiting that you're there, that we can come to you as we've just sung time and time again, never, ever giving up because you never give up on us. So Lord, may we keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, because we are his joy, we are your joy. He accomplished salvation on our behalf. And we thank you and praise you for that. May we live with that hope, the blessed hope, not just of your return, but of the the salvation that we have presently in Jesus, that we're seated in heavenly places in him. Freely, by your grace, unearned, unmerited. And we thank you, Father. Lord, help us to not lose hope. And if we've lost it, help us to regain hope through your promises, through your word. 
to see the better picture of the future you have for us. So that we thank you, we praise you, and we ask this all in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Just as a reminder, we're going to have a special time for prayer. If any would like to have special prayer with one of our elders, they'll be right up here in the front. So stay afterwards, come forward, and we'll pray with you. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next weekend. Take care.